0: This is G-N-E, the podcast, golf and entrepreneurship, with Eric Crane and Kyle Caddam of Electric.
1: I couldn't be more excited about the influx of new brands and new fashion and, and new attitude and, and just sort of like this sort of uprising that's upwelling that's happening within the sport where it's, it's not your dad's brand pleading the charge anymore. Um, and, and I don't know, I mean, you know, when we were working with it, Kyle was sort of disenchanted with snow. And... He didn't spend a ton, a ton of time on golf, and instead of just dabbling, I kind of just put my foot down one day and said, let's just try this. Let's go to the PGA Show. Kyle, today, as of Monday, you're no longer the head of snow. You're the head of golf. Good luck.
0: Welcome back to G&E, the podcast. This is episode 44, and as always, my name is Ryan Walker. I am your host and the founder of g Magazine. This week's episode is brought to you by Link Soul. And as a brand, they are working hard to connect people to the soul of the game. Whether it's through their vintage yet modern apparel or through the new releases like their Link Soul Persimmon Woods, the team in Oceanside, California, is continuing to bring this philosophy to life with their great products. Link Soul has just launched their new Summer 18 collection, full of all sorts of apparel for whatever summer adventure you have planned. To check all that out and to shop their new arrivals, visit LinkSoul.com and feel free to use the code GE20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase. And now to our show. This week, we have two great guests joining us. Eric Crane and Kyle Caddam have come on the show to talk about the history and evolution of their global eyewear brand, Electric. We're also going to talk about their move into golf, their love for the sport in general, why they decided to recently go back to an independent brand, and a whole lot more. So, Eric and Kyle, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. What's
2: happening? What's happening? Thanks for having us
0: yeah it's my pleasure. It's great to have you both on the show and I'm excited to get into electric california and I'm sure if you've been on Instagram recently, you've probably seen if you follow anyone really in golf their electric golf sunglasses, and we'll talk about that in a minute. but before we do, I would love to learn more about the history of the company. So who could kick us off and give us some background on how electric California came to be?
1: you know uh Eric here you know I'll just I'll start at the beginning. Um, just by saying that when the brand was started in 2000, we, it was our second go around it at, at an eyewear company. Um, a, a group of us were pretty young working at Arnett in, uh, in the early nineties, which was a sunglass company in action sports under Greg Arnett. And we had all met there and it was a lot of our first sort of jobs and first foray into eyewear. And, and it really sort of changed the, the face of like active eyewear, um, and uh, it was really exciting. It was an exciting brand and it grew very quickly uh, and ended up being acquired for a lot of money in the late 90s. Uh, and so after, you know, we had to have this tremendous run of working um, together as this crew and this entrepreneurial brand, you know, we weren't quite ready to go work for like the man yet, you know, for one of the big eyewear conglomerates. We, we thought, you know, we, we, we had more in us and we wanted to do our own thing. And, and, and so crew of us um, got together, uh, you know, led by Kip Arnett, um, who was Greg Arnett's son, and uh, in 2000 we formed uh, Electric. And um, Electric then was meant to be everything that all the other eyewear brands weren't. Uh, it needed it needed to, to encapsulate the energy of the generation um, uh, that was that was changing things and doing things and moving and pushing the the envelope, whether it be in art, music, or in sport and surfing and skateboarding and skiing and um, whatever it was that we, being electric really meant that um, you were on the front uh, and capitalizing on the energy of now. And so that, that meant that we were c- committing ourselves to a brand that was always going to be evolving and changing with the times. Um, and we, we kind of came out of uh, the gates hot, you know, like a bat out of hell. And within the first, you know, five, six years, became a you know, market leader um in action sports uh in, in addition to like so snow and, and surf markets primarily and um really all over the country and ended up being traded in sixty countries across the globe with offices in Australia and France. Wow. It was incredible. Um and then in two
0: Yeah, and how old were you guys just out of curiosity when you left Arnett to kick off electric?
1: Um probably uh late twenties, uh mid 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 twenties. Um like some of us like I was on the younger side, so I was in my mid twenties and then I think, you know, keeping those guys are in their late twenties, but we were all in our twenties, um and, and just taking all the risk and you know, just thinking that, you know, the world was our oyster and there was no reason why we couldn't be successful.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I'm guessing while at Arnett, you all were able to gain some, you know, expertise in the eyewear industry, if you may, and now entering your new venture with electric, you all were able to develop a plan and you know, take these skills and utilize them in developing your own eyewear brand.
1: Yeah. If you combine the expertise that we had at Arnett, um, with the expertise now that we've had with electric over the last almost 20 years, you know, we're looking at like 30 years of eyewear experience, um, you know, multi-generations on it and working with these incredible factories in Italy where we've known these, these, the owners of those factories and their families for, for two decades or more. And, um, so the, the approach to the quality, the craftsmanship, the innovation um, is all uh, as world class as it could possibly be. Uh, but we have this attitude uh, and irreverence of you know a group of guys from California that just want to mess shit up.
0: That's awesome. And it sounds to me like y'all were able to take what you learned at Arnett and combine it with the fact that you were young and you wanted to add just a ton of energy to a brand that really represented it. And clearly you were able to do that. And so Kyle, when did you get involved with the business?
2: Um, I started, uh, you know, about a year after electric started 2001. Um, I was brought in to do some kind of in-house sales and stuff like that. And, um, as I came in, it was like the first year we launched our uh, our snow goggles, and um, I grew up snowboarding in Big Bear. Uh, after high school, I, I moved to Mammoth to try to be a pro snowboarder. Um, I ended up tossing pizzas and snowboarding every day. It is what it was and I <laughs> did a good job. Uh, so yeah, so I started in 2001. Um, I became like the snow and skate kind of brand manager. I did that for almost 12, 13 years, um, and it was you know super fun ride it's still a
0: fun ride very cool and so you guys had this team put together and you all were you know in your late 20s going after building a brand that represented who you were as people and something that we love to talk about and something everyone loves about entrepreneurship are those early days of a company you know evolving before you are a global corporation like you are now and so do you mind rewinding back a bit and talking about what those first couple years were like for you guys
1: yeah you know, it's they're they're hungry days. I think the passion and the energy for the opportunity has to fill your your tank because there wasn't a whole lot of money flowing around. And and you know there was some months where we were you know struggling to hit payroll, and there's other months where you know we were rolling in a ton of cash. And and there's then there's other months where we're back on a plane to try to explain to our factories that we'll pay them when we can and to bear with us. And this is all going to work out. We promise. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it was pretty, pretty hair raising. I mean, you know, at the same time, a lot of us had sort of starting younger families and things like that. And the stress levels were sort of over the top. Um, But it was always this idea that as long as we were getting the feedback and the response from the market that we were and the retailers were telling us that it was working and everyone wanted a piece of it and you know, everyone wanted free stuff all the time. It's like when you have that brand that everyone wants a piece of, it's, it's hard not to just keep doubling down and committing to, to what it could, could
0: be. Absolutely. And like you're saying, some months the money was there, some months it wasn't. And obviously you all were able to break through past this point and become an incredibly established company. And so what did you guys do to make that happen? Were there any interesting marketing techniques or certain strategies you used to really get this brand in front of the right people?
1: You know, I, I'd like to say that there was, but we're talking about a time, you know, sort of 20 years ago that, you know, really before um, the presence of, of e-commerce and, and social commerce and, and um, there's a lot more opportunity, I would say, nowadays um, to sort of like hit your cash flow needs uh, by being really creative with your product. Whereas, you know, back then, you know, we were sort of committed to the wholesale retail business model where, you know, we, we had to get shops to buy stuff from us and then they'd take the stuff that we had already had to pay for. And hopefully after they sell it, they pay us. And so that's that sort of, that famine was created by the fact that we would, we would have to outlay cash for production, you know, anywhere from 30 to 90 days before we'd actually see money back from retail. So getting creative just meant that, you know, we'd have to keep a really lean infrastructure and, and um, make sure that we didn't spend our, our way into a hole um, while we were waiting for cash.
0: Okay. And clearly this was all during the growth stages of the company. And I'm just kind of curious, how big was the team when you guys first started? And then at the peak of the company, how many employees did you all have?
1: I think there's probably what, four or five people.
2: Yeah. Back in the day for the
1: first couple yeah. of years, kept it as lean as possible. Um, I'm proud to say that the, what, you know, one of the first employees was this guy, Renato Salas, uh, who was running our warehouse and he still runs the warehouse today. Yeah. 20 years later. That's awesome. Um, got, you know, Kyle's, you know, probably the second longest employee. And then we've got the president of our company is this guy, Steve Hurst. And he's been here for 15 years as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of people that are here that were part of the original crew. Um, I think at the, at the highest point, we got up to almost 50 people, um, And uh, that seemed crazy uh, for us. And now we're sort of back down to around 30.
0: Wow, that is unbelievable. And congrats on creating a culture that makes people want to work for the business for a long time. I think that is so cool. And I was wondering, you know, when you got to that point where there is 50 people, did you look at this business and be like, wow, this is amazing? It's kind of like a big family. Or was that just a weird feeling, getting a chance to see that you had all these employees?
1: You know, I wish I could have said that, to be honest, like that it felt like a big family, but the most dysfunctional our business has ever been was when we were at our largest. Uh, I mean, you can say it from your point of view. When we were at 50, what did that feel like? It,
2: it You know, it, it wasn't like a a tight friendship and family like it was. You know, people were uh, focused on what they needed to do and, you know, some people weren't focused at all. Other people didn't give a shit, you know, and, you know, we were owned by a big company and you know, people, people were like, Hey, well, it doesn't matter how hard I work. It's, you know, it just, it, it got a little, it got a little mixed up and there was, there was tension inside the office. And, um, you know, in the first early years, it was a, it was a full brotherhood. Like if one guy was going out for drinks on Thursday, everybody was going out for drinks on Thursday. You know, if one person was hung hung over, if there was an event, everybody was at the event. And, um, it's like that today. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a family in here. And, um, Everybody, everybody gets along very well, and everybody has the same goal and the same plan. Obviously, everyone has families now and, you know, focus on their life. But when they come to work, they, uh, you know, they come to a family as well here. So it's rad.
0: Yeah, that's great. And something we're going to talk about in a minute is the current culture of Electric and your vision for the business moving forward. But on the topic of the company evolving, um, when you first started, because I know you're going into golf now and you, you're all about lifestyle. And so when things were starting to grow, what were your core product categories?
1: Um, you know, eyewear was our, our main focus. And, you know, it was even, evenly balanced between um, sunglasses and, and goggles. It was always part of the business model to be able to supplement the summer business with a strong winter business. And, and we realized that have a year-round business, it was great to have both. You know, sunglasses were good between may and july and, and snow goggles were great between december and and uh or sorry october and december and in the middle there like it's sort of like what well, you winding down one thing or ramping up the next and so we sort of smoothed out our our sales structure by always being sort of evenly focused on both um but really you know surfing itself it's like we're not a surf brand we're not a surf company people don't surf in sunglasses so really surf is important just because the lifestyle that is really in California is informed heavily by surf culture and mm-hmm. and a lot of surfer people that are enthusiasts of surf culture wear sunglasses so that's that's really the connection there but we were you know we've always had a relationship with um sort of active retailers um around the country that that have a an outdoor consumer um for our eyewear
0: yeah. And I like what you said there about figuring out a way with the business plan to supplement winter and summer. And obviously, you guys were able to figure that out pretty nicely. And you know, you went through some serious growth. And like you said, got 250 employees at one point and you were purchased by a bigger company. And then I know also recently that you decided to buy it back from them and become an independent brand again. So can you talk about that decision for a second and, you know, your thought process behind it? Because you know, something like that is, you know, a big decision. And I think it'd be really interesting to hear, you know, what your thoughts were.
1: Yeah. You know, I, you know, I've been in the brand and, and the brand had been through so many different phases and chapters and, you know, from the first acquisition in 2008 by Volcom through the second acquisition of Volcom and electric in 2011 by Caring, um, the culture had changed pretty significantly with each one of those moves. Um, and so, you know, I, I actually left the company uh, for a while there in the middle, and and um, you know, wasn't really involved in the day to day, and sort of watched it from afar. And then, you know, after the second acquisition, I was hired back into the business to sort of take over, um, and and try to like, you know, triple it and, and and sort of grow five times revenue, and 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 take the brand to places it's never been. And I came back into the company and like looked around, and I definitely didn't recognize it for one. It had it had sort of like become something different than I had remembered it, or I think any of us had intended it to be. Um, and the culture itself was really driven pretty heavily by financial return, and all of the management was was talking about how we were going to hit our EBIT targets. And um, you know, as a CEO, I was spending anywhere from sixty to seventy percent of my time. Developing business review material, whether it be monthly seventy pages or quarterly one hundred and twenty pages, and I realized that spending all of my time trying to manufacture cover your ass or CYA material uh, that was rearview mirror, like basically focusing on what we had done, um, took all the energy and the and the and the spirit away from focusing on where we were going or what we could do, and. Um, it was, it was, it was tough, man. I was, you know, in these big businesses, a lot of these times, like the management is spent on layers of CYA, like the CEO of the brand is focused on creating, you know, uh, reasons to justify to his boss, which is the CEO of the group. And then the CEO of the group is taking that bullet points. So he can have stuff to say to his boss. And then his boss is the chairman of the board. And he's, Trying to get sound bites that he can share with the analysts, and all they're doing is is really sort of coming up with with bullshit sound bites uh, that have nothing to do with the, what the brand is actually doing in the market or what the consumer actually wants from the company. And everyone's focusing on the wrong things. And uh, so when I sort of when that came to pass, uh, I realized that I had a ton of passion for electric, and I loved it, and, and I really wanted to see it go and and become what it what it should be and, and kind of come back to its roots and and get back on track and and um I was at a place in my life where I was willing to roll the dice to do it.
0: I mean, yeah, I uh, could not imagine building something with a couple buddies and then all of a sudden you come back years down the line and look at it and you can't even recognize what it is or what the brand really stands for and so you know, obviously you decided to do something about it and you're clearly very passionate about this decision and you want to get electric back to where you think it should be. And so what is your plan to uh, do that?
1: Yeah, the number one way is just to focus on eyewear. I think that, you know, at our our biggest peak, uh, we had been making multiple product categories like luggage and helmets and watches and apparel. And like, we just sort of lost our business mission which creates a lot of confusion. Um, And I think, you know, in coming back to focus just on being the best eyewear brand we can be, we've been able to accelerate the innovation, simplify the culture, get efficiencies uh, on the bottom line and and improve our financials, and then really become an authority position within eyewear again. And by doing that, that gives us license to, to trade everywhere in the planet. It creates a ton of opportunity because when you're an eyewear brand, that makes eyewear for, for what it is that you do in your life. You realize that fishing and golf and, and like women's fashion and all these other opportunities open up to you because there's eyewear in all of those places. And I think that when we were making all those, all those products, we were trying to make a million products to sell to one customer, which is like the action sports guy. Yeah. And the turning the business model inside out, now we're selling one thing, which is great eyewear, but we're selling it to everybody. And the opportunity is infinitely greater uh, in, this, in the latter.
0: I love that. And you hear so often with entrepreneurship, kind of the concept of simplify to amplify. And like when you're an entrepreneur, you, know, you can kind of get caught up. There's so many opportunities and you want to chase them all. But if you really you know, buckle down and focus on what you're good at, then uh, like I said, you're able to amplify those efforts. And I heard you mention there golf. And you know, this is, at the end of the day, a golf and entrepreneurship podcast. And I'd love to talk about that move. And so um, when did you guys decide to get in the golf and, you know, was it due to the fact I'm guessing that you're both, you know, pretty big golfers yourselves?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, as we, <laughs> I you mean, think about it, we went from being young kids, you know, punk kids with no money and, and just running around and, you know, Kyle flipping peaches and snowboarding and I'm surfing and stuff to, as we grew up and, and sort of, you know, our life evolved and, and, you know, sort of found a love for the game. And, you know, I hadn't seen Kyle in a few years and we, when we reconnected, like, you know, whatever, six years ago, I, I talked to him and, you know, he's telling me that he hadn't even been snowboarding in the last, you know, sort of two years. And he goes up, he brings us, you know, to the events that he's, that he's marketing. And didn't even necessarily pull the snowboard out of the bag because he couldn't wait to play golf on the way up the mountain and on the way down the mountain. And then it was <laughs> during the day. And at the same time I had been playing a ton of golf and, and so I feel like for us, it was when we rebuilt the company in in the and we took back control. It's like, well, let's make the, a business that fulfills all the needs that we have as humans. And if we're out there golfing and we have a love and passion for the game, it's like let's make some eyewear that works really well for us on the course that we don't have to compromise the way that we look. Right? We we can bring our our vibe and who we are to the golf course and. If you've ever had the pleasure of meeting or seeing Kyle, you'll realize that like, you know, we don't look like everybody out there, but we do look like a lot of the people who are coming into the sport. And I'm, I, you know, I can't be, I couldn't be more excited about the influx of new brands and new fashion and, and new attitude and, and just sort of like this sort of uprising that's upwelling that's happening within the sport where it's, it's not your dad's brands leading the charge anymore. Um, and, And I don't know, I mean, you know, when we were working with it, Kyle was sort of disenchanted with snow and he didn't spend a ton of of time on golf. And instead of just dabbling, I kind of just put my foot down one day and said, let's just try this. Let's go to the PGA show. Kyle today, as of Monday, you're no longer the head of snow. You're the head of golf. (laughs) Good
0: luck. (laughs) That is awesome. I love the spontaneous decision and that was actually something I wanted to talk about is this undercurrent going on in golf right now? And, you know, so clearly you guys are pretty involved with it, you know, a new brand coming into sport, bringing a new attitude with it. And so do you think this is, you know, the undercurrent is good for golf? And then also, do you see yourselves leading the way in golf eyewear heading into the future?
2: Well, for one, I think it's good for golf and uh, a couple of reasons. You know, you go to a you go to a private course, uh, most people go to a public course, Where, wherever you go, you're putting sunscreen on at all times. You're covering mm-hmm. sunscreen, you're in the sun for four hours, the sun is very damaging to your skin. A lot of people aren't wearing sunglasses for one. For two, sunglasses and your, well, your eyes are a very, very important part of your body. So, um, you know, us trying to get people to wear sunglasses is us trying to help them at the same time. Um, like you said, we weren't going to, you know, in Crano said, we weren't going to come into the States and, you know, be golf. We wanted to be us in golf. So, um, you know, we took some of our, our best sellers and, you know, kind of just made, made them a little bit better. It made them a little more comfortable for golf and, um, and they're amazing, you know, and, um, I golf in sunglasses every time I play and I encourage that to everybody else. And, um, I know some people say they can't swing, they can't do this, they fall off my face or whatever we've actually, you know, kind of solved that problem. And, you know, it's just like, it's just like anything, you know what I mean? You, you know, you have a pair of black shoes, you wear a pair of red shoes, it takes a couple of days to get used to it. But, you know, once once you're used to it, it's gonna save your eyes, it's gonna save your eyes. And um, I think, um, you know, our sunglasses are made with the best material the sunglasses we made of. We, uh, you know, we infuse melanin into our lenses, which melanin is a pigment found in the human body and it's a health benefit. It blocks all the damaging rays from the sun. Um, it's going to cut down on macro generation, crow's feet, and um, it's soothing to the eyeball.
0: Yeah, and I agree with what you said there about you know wearing sunglasses and getting used to it while playing golf. And besides the health benefits, once you do it a few times, you really just can't imagine playing golf without them. But you guys started electric some 20 years ago, and since then, you know marketing techniques and things like that have changed. And so, what kind of strategies are you guys using to get this new golf line? In front of the right people in the golf world,
2: um, you know we, you know, coming into the golf space, um, we look at it as we're, you know, even in our a business, we look at it as it's a, it's a separate brand, is a separate, you know, we're not going to take chunks from you know um, our core business or our surf business or any of our other business and say, hey, we're gonna now we're gonna take all away your money and we're gonna spend all this money on golf. We're gonna we're coming into golf and we have small budgets and this and the other. So um, obviously nowadays with, uh, Instagram being awesome. And, you know, all these people that you could say are Insta famous or influencers or people who are, you know, doing really cool stuff and making golf really fun and really cool. Um, I kind of went at it that way. That's how we kind of went at it. You know what I mean? With Busty and stuff. And Busty was kind of like the, one of the first guys we reached out to. And, um, and that's a way for us to tackle it and take care of people who have more eyes in golf on them than we have ourselves, you know what I mean? And letting them, you know, wear our product and speak about our product. Um, and, um, you know, we did do a partnership with uh, Golfer Journal. Uh, it's the only publication we're running ads in, but um, that's basically it for right now.
0: Yeah. I saw that via Instagram and it seems to be working out very nicely for you guys. And so you're both clearly busy with the launch of golf and continuing to grow the business. And so do you get out to play very much?
1: Um, can we say, who's listening to this? <laughs> Tread lightly, right? <laughs> we never get out. We just work our butts off all the time. And <laughs> so it's unfortunate. Like we list, we probably play golf more than we should.
2: Yeah. Well, something, um, Something that's very cool that I will say is um, Eric here, obviously, is the owner. Um, He's a great friend and he's a a great boss. Uh, So we started playing golf every Friday where we play. Our our course is called Bella Kalina. It's a private 27-hole course. It's about a mile from where we're sitting right now. Um, So we started playing. We were playing almost every Friday. And he felt bad that he was leaving the office every Friday, half day. So what he did is he created something for all of us and he said, hey, look, I'm going to give everybody a half day Friday, but we have to work from, you know, eight eight to six or, you know, just put put an extra hour in through the week or, you know, and um, you can have, you know, half day Fridays. So now our Fridays, we work from eight to noon and, you know, a handful of us drive a mile over there and we, we play the skins game or we play, you know, we got people that are in town sometimes we play, but we're pretty much there and play 18 every Friday.
0: That's awesome. You guys are rolling along with the whole mandatory golf Friday movement that Link Soul has going on as well. And so between the two of you, who's the better player? Who is taking the skins?
1: Dude, Kyle's by a mile. It's interesting. So ironically, our surf marketing manager is like a two handicap. And Kyle's what are you like a six now or seven? Yeah. Something? Seven. Seven. So it's it's like it's the surf guys actually smokes the golf guy sometimes, but then the golf guy smokes surf guy and I'm, I'm in the team. So I'm not even in the game, but although I can take some money if I hit a couple of good ones, um, yeah. but it's, I don't love it any less than these guys do. Um, and you know, I, my son, my youngest son's playing golf up at the club and he's practicing three days a week. And I played nine holes with him last night. So there's, you know, having, having a place like Bella Colina a mile away where there's no tee times, there's no waiting, there's 27 holes, like you can literally play 18 holes in three hours. It it changes, you know, what golf means to you. You can actually go out and do it way more.
0: Yeah, that is amazing. And so when you guys are out there, do you like to walk or ride?
2: Um, well, Bella Clina stands for Roaring Hills and it's pretty much got its name for a reason. So it's uh, it. it, it very very tough course to try to walk. Um, even if you're really good in shape and even if your cardio's up, um, it, it's
1: let's be honest, yeah. it's really hard to carry around a six pack on ice. Yes. So we have yeah. to drive in the car.
2: <laughs> and to get back to the uh, say on the skins game, you know, you can go out there and double freaking sixteen holes and have two birdies and take home a lot of money over there. So you know, you never know what you get out there.
0: Yeah, that is the best thing about playing games like that. I mean, it keeps things interesting all day long and you always have a chance. And overall, I mean, I love the fact you guys do the half-day Friday thing. And sounds like you have a great culture. And so moving forward with Electric, what is your vision for the business in the next three, five, ten years?
1: Yeah, I think the opportunity for Electric really is boundless. Um, within golf in particular, I'm excited about continuing to evolve and grow within the category and sport um, as a real meaningful player, that's making, you know, real products that, that help with the game and aligning with other brands that are a part of this movement. And I think that, you know, we've done a few things with LinkSol and we're doing a few things with G4 coming up here. It's pretty exciting. And, um, we're going to continue to attend the PGA show and, and, and be there and, and work with more ambassadors and, you know, potentially look at some players here pretty soon. And, um, I think just, continuing to grow sort of step-by-step step within golf in a really organic way from the bottom up is something that I'm, I think we're all going to be really proud of in a few years. Like when we do get become a meaningful player, it will be because, you know, everyone along the way helped us to get there and, and we didn't buy our way in. And then I think we're going to be really proud of that. Um, I think as a brand, you know, being privately held means that, we're focused on being the best company that we can be, with the best culture that we can create. And um, as long as we run a healthy business with a with a profitable bottom line and everyone can afford to buy houses and have kids and live in the city where they want to and, and, and retain a, a great lifestyle, like that's the win for electric. Like we're not I'm past the, the days of, you know, blowing it up to sell it and I'm in no hurry to have another boss uh, work for some other group. Um, I'm I'm actually having a really good time right now.
0: That's fantastic. And, you know, really congrats to the both of you on everything you have going on right now and the vision of where you want to take electric. It has been awesome just getting the chance to learn more about the company's history. And you both are clearly very entrepreneurial throughout your lives. And so for someone who's maybe just getting started, you know, looking to start their own venture and, and, you know, get into entrepreneurship. Do you have any advice for someone like that?
1: Be really careful who you take money from. Be patient. Be really patient. Don't compromise your values. Any decision that would compromise your original goals for the business is a decision that shouldn't be made. Um, you know, just continue to to be yourself, um, and and if you be it authentically, you know people will support your vision. And, and if you tell people what it is that you want, tell people your vision, they can help you. They can help you get it. You got to articulate the wins, you know, like you asked us where we want to be. It's like, well, we want to be a leader in the space. We want to be a leader in golf. We don't want to just be a participant. We want people to think of electric as the eyewear brand within golf. That's cool, hip and, and the best quality and the things you got, the things you got to have. If if we, if I'm not able to say that, if you're not able to project what success is to everyone around you and completely repeat it over and over again, it won't find you. Success wants to find everybody. You just got to be able to let success know
0: where to get you. Wow. Yeah, that was perfect. I appreciate you sharing that. And overall, really appreciate the insights you guys have shared into electric and the evolution of the business and where you want to take it. So, Eric and Kyle, I really appreciate your time. And, you know, thanks again for coming on the show. This has been great. Yeah, Thank
2: you, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan.
0: Yeah, it was my pleasure, guys. And to all our listeners, thank you, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode of G&E, the podcast. Make sure to go over to our website, geniemagazine.com, spelled G-A-N-D-E-magazine.com, and check out the feature to go along with this week's episode. So head on over to the website, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Subscribe to the online newsletter, which comes out every Friday, so you never miss new content and inspiring entrepreneurs and golfers from around the world. And once again, my name is Ryan Walker, and I thank you for listening today.